Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann. Today we're joined by a good friend of the show, Crack Joe, Joe Watkins. How you doing, Joe? Good. Hi, everyone. Awesome, man. It's been a long time. No speak on the the show. I was looking through and it's like February we spoke to you last, so I thought it'd be really cool to have a bit, bit of a catch up. Uh, I know that you've been like doing quite a few bits and bobs, and I know like you went to off to a conference in Serbia and stuff. So I thought it'd be really good to yeah to get like have a catch up and talk about all these things. So yeah, how's life been treating you, man? Well, quite poorly, um, actually. I didn't get to go to the conference in Serbia. Oh no. Yeah, I know. My wife got a new job and she couldn't ask for the time off, and then it just so happened that when. Um, it was on. I was healing from surgery anyway, so even if she had got the time off, I wouldn't have been able to go. So yeah, I I, I missed it and I had to pull out, which was pretty devastating. That's life. Maybe I'll go next year. But I heard it went really well. Uh, Rasmus done the keynote, and um, there was some other really big big names there from the speaking community. So uh, they're, they're attracting good uh, quality talks now. So next year should be even better, I suppose. It sucks that you couldn't go though, but I'm glad that it, it went well. Did did anyone take on your the role of your like because you were going to be kind of like discussing kind of you know, contributing to PHP? Uh, did anyone do that presentation, or are you going to like do it at a later date? No, they didn't do it. I'm just going to have to do it later. Yeah, they they, they got they got someone else in who already talk, prepared. So yeah, they done something else. So uh, yeah, I'm going to do that somewhere else. Hopefully this year. That's cool. Have you got anywhere lined up? Well, the call for papers for. All the ones I've been to before are not open or they've just closed. So I haven't really got any good ideas yet, but we are only halfway through the year, so something may come up. Not the best ending to the story. Well, no, but uh, but the thing is, that hopefully soon you'll be able to do it and everything. And, you know, life happens, unfortunately, doesn't it? Yeah, and even though you have got several months in advance, but the thing is, so much can happen in several months that, you know, unavoidable things come up and you just... And then you've got to let people down, which feels horrible, but unavoidable, really. Well, there's priorities and stuff. I mean, if you were saying you're healing on the men from surgery, that's a bit more important, I would say. So I'm glad you're, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're feeling better now. I know I've been speaking to you and you, you seem better. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much healed now. So I'm okay. That drama's over. That's good, Matt. Well, so, so speaking like kind of about PHP then, PHP 7.1 in particular, okay, it's currently up to 7.1.6 now. And it looks like a lot of the releasing now is bug fixes. Um, how how have you found, because now this is really kind of concluding, I suppose, how long is, is 7.1 out for then and you still are a release manager for, like, until end of life, I'm guessing, for it, until bug fixes are deprecated for it? Yeah, until it's uh, end of life. And then and then afterwards, when it goes into just security fixes only for a year, and then after that, then pretty much my job's done, except for helping the next um, release managers for 7.2 or 7.3 or whatever we're on then. I mean, officially, we, we choose like one person to mentor, but the, the fact is that it's so complicated and so many things can go wrong that you actually have to call on the knowledge of everyone that's been a release manager before, more or less. So I suppose that doesn't really, that doesn't really stop. But the bulk of the work, just for the main release cycle, which is um, two or three years, and then we go into security fixes for a year. Well, we're going to security fixes for a year, but then like 5.6... There's going to be a release of 5.6 in the next few days, even though, you know, it's way past. It's in security fix only. 
So I can't get any bug fixes other than if they've got security implications. So that's got a release coming out today. And actually, we're on 717 today, but I haven't announced it yet because I, I totally messed it up. So, yeah, it will get normal normal fixes and maybe the odd standalone feature for the two years. And then it goes into security mode for a year. The year is extendable if, you know, evidence shows that a massive majority is still using that version or something like that. It's, it's, it's flexible, but mostly it will be it will be a year. That's that's it. And then everyone should be using 7.2 by then. I mean, they should be using 7.2 as soon as it becomes stable, actually. There's no reason to lag behind anymore. So, yeah, especially if you're already running running 7.1, uh, it's not going to be extremely difficult to upgrade to 7.2. There's no, like, massive breaking changes. There's a couple of minor ones, but um, there always is. So it should be okay. Now, that's really interesting. Cause, and, and how have you actually found, then, this experience? Because it, it is quite an investment. To say you're going to be a release manager for a version of PHP, uh, it does seem like a lot of work and kind of, yeah, the, the time frame is quite extended too. Um, you know what it's like? It's a bit like... Um, Someone who, who's got a job of like searching for extraterrestrial life and they go into work every day and they just look at some numbers on a computer and nothing really happens. And then every once in a while, something really major happens and everything's a million miles an hour and um, everything goes wrong. Like most of the time, it's just like your normal, like putting labels on stuff, doing merge commits, updating the news file and generating change logs and things like that. It's all stuff that just takes a minute. And then maybe some security bugs will come along or some some um, complicated engine bugs will come along and they're always at the last minute and you always have to do weird Git stuff, which always goes wrong. But most of the time it's peaceful um, and quite easy. You can just fit it into your day. But like this morning, I spent three hours just trying to prepare a release because I messed it up so bad because there was so much to do that I didn't know about. You know, communication can break down when it's just emails and I get like 3,000 emails a day or whatever and, you know, I miss the odd email. Yeah, that's frustrating. But most of the time, it's really easy. I mean, I don't regret it. It's just um, someone's got to do it. And it's kind of thankless. No, no one ever says, oh, they were a really good release manager. It's really the only other, uh, only the other release managers can appreciate like how much hard work it is. And so they're the only people that really sort of appreciate it um, for what it is. Absolutely. Because I think you're right. It is a thankless job because people just assume it's going to happen, but they don't realize how much work. And like you say, other release managers realize the the investment, the time. And yeah, I mean, you've got a day job as well. This isn't your day job. Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, you've got to fit it in, you know, sometimes during when you should be working and, you know, your boss has got to be, your bosses have got to be all right with that. And other times you've got to get up at six o'clock in the morning like today because someone's woken you up with tweeting at you because you've done stuff wrong. So, so what actually happened then? Are you cool with explaining kind of what happened this morning? Yeah, well, okay, so we don't deal with security bugs in the open for obvious reasons. Nobody does. Um, so then they get dealt with privately and um, discussed privately and fixed privately. And then the code is private as well until um, we're actually ready to actually release the, the fix. I mean, everyone works like that. But the thing is, because we've moved from SVN to Git and, and now we've got these private repositories and this weird karma system and you've got to have special permissions to view private bugs and security bugs on the bugs net tracker. And it's all just so antiquated and old that it's um, easy to miss stuff. And basically someone um, merged a bunch of security fixes and I missed them because I didn't see the one single email that, that said they existed um, because obviously the, where they were committed to is private. I don't get any notification about changes of code there. So I totally missed them and um, prepared a release without them. 
and then someone pointed out that I had missed them all. And I was like, no, I think I got them because I read the email that I had read again. And then I searched through emails and found the um, single email with the big long list of stuff that had changed. By that time, there had been changes to various files. So it wasn't just a case of just cherry picking or merging commits. I had to like mess around regenerating parcels and things. And it just took hours. I mean, it literally took three hours. And I'm not stupid. I mean, it's not because I was being stupid. It's just so fiddly and difficult to, to get to get right. I mean, I'm not that great at Git. I must admit, my um, um, I have to look up how to do stuff. Like every time I want to do something sort of partially complicated, I have to remind myself how to do it again. But yeah, it shouldn't have been complicated. It should have just been normal merging in that. But we, we all of us made such a mess, mostly me. Um, that it was made difficult. So well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat yourself up there, dude. I tell you what, everyone Google stuff for Git. Everyone does. Apart from if you're a Git pro, but it's just like the, some of it. I mean, the things that you only do one-offs, there's no point in remembering it. You just you might as well just spend the time to Google it. Some of it is tu- intuitive and you can just remember it because it's just intuitive. And it's like it's like you've labeled that action in your mind as the Git command and you remember it that way. It's just the thing you want to do. But other times when you want to do something and, and it's like a combination of doing lots of different commands, it's like oh, I can't remember what order they go in and I can't remember how to start and things like that. So you have to look it up. Yeah, it's like when you like walk in the tree and you want to do applicate ply on. Uh, yeah, no, it get it can get very messy. Yeah, and then and then what always happens to me is I always miss something and then everything starts going wrong and um, I just I end up in like a like a loop of just resetting and trying again, but 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 doing it wrong in this exactly the same way. <laughs> I'm I'm not that good at it. Um, it's all right when you get it or when it's intuitive, but when it's like a new thing or when you're trying to fix stuff. It's okay for normal workflow stuff, but when you've got to like go back and rewrite history and add a bit of history in that, it gets complicated because it doesn't really want you to do that. It, it wants everything to be like a, you know, in the, in the normal workflow, it doesn't want you to touch history, but sometimes it's necessary. But no, that's really interesting you say about the security side of things there, because it would be really cool to kind of expand on that. So, you know, the channels that you get these security fixes and problems in, is that just like an anonymous or that like kind of, is that just internal kind of discussing the security or people bring them in? No, it's open. It's fine. Um, it's the Bugsnet tracker, so bugs.php.net. If you report a bug on there and you report it, when when you report it, you mark it as having implications for security. It's made private so that only the reporter and a selection of internals developers can see it. But the, the same kind of process goes on. People can add patches and they can... Um, add a pull request but generally they don't because that would be in the open but occasionally they do but they just don't mention that it has security implications because they're so obscure that you can just say oh here's a fix for this thing and no one's going to know that you're actually fixing a security bug and if you do that and it's complicated it means that everyone can review it uh, you know outside of the, the small circle of people that can review security bugs so that's how you do it but recently it was like i mean up until recently it was more or less down to the reporter whether something was a security bug. But um, now we've got an actual definition of what we classify as a security bug because, okay, so for example, um, someone might come along and say, here's this malicious code that I've written and here's what it does when you execute it. Well, if you've got the permission to write malicious code, then it's too late. I mean, the system's already compromised. We don't need to um, we don't need to worry about that. I mean, that's not a security issue. If you write malicious code, it's going to do malicious things. But that it, it would be a security bug if some 
normal thing that every website does allows an attacker to inject and execute code that's different if there's a pathway to that then that's a security bug but if it's just the case that if you set up php in this particular way and you execute this particular code it does this bad thing which could be exploited well we don't have to worry about that because if you've got the permission to configure it and decide what code to run then it's the system's already compromised you can already you already have the permission that you would get by injecting and kind of flooring PHP itself. So that now quite a lot of the stuff that comes in and people say, oh, this is a security bug. We can just say, no, it's not a security bug. And we can open it up so that anyone can fix it so that we're not in the position where only one or two people are fixing all of the security bugs or all of the majority of the bugs. So, And then obviously, so because it's private, then it's not within the public realm. And then you're dealing with trying to package that up. And it was this one off PR request or whatever or like patch that you could you you didn't deal with that you need to then go and kind of retroactively place in actually it was eight uh eight of them oh man yeah they they were all in like they were I was only no they were separate but I was only notified of them like one time in one email and I just I just missed that email until I looked this morning and searched for like some different names and stuff so I, I found it um but um yeah I missed eight Oh man, well, are they bad ones as well? I mean, in in respect to how bad a thing can be. Pretty standard. They're pretty. I mean, the majority of the security bugs in PHP are found in the same kind of areas because they're the, they're the vulnerable areas. I mean, um, I mean, they're they're of that nature. They're not um, a surprise or 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 remarkable or anything, and they, and they never really are. So moving then on from like seven one now to seven two, and I've, I've realised there's seven two alphas out now. Alpha two, I think of it. Who are the release managers then for this? That's Sarah Goldman, who's like mother of PHP, and Remy Collet, Remy Collet, who's like father of packaging for everything. So a good combination. Yeah, a brilliant combination. Yeah, they're doing really well. And and is there like any transfer that you have to do, kind of thing, or like because obviously you're now dealing with release, they're dealing with release. Any security fact, uh, you know, patches that come in, you have to patch your version, and I'm guessing they would have to upstream if if things haven't changed, patch theirs. Well, we've got, um, I mean, this, we've got a workflow that we have to, or are supposed to use for merging between development branches. So at the moment, that's 7 and 7.1 and master, which is 7.2. And we, we follow that even with security stuff. I mean, we try to follow it all the time because it keeps history clean and, and um, it makes everything much easier when we have to reverse stuff or, you know, analyze things or whatever. So there's a bit of interaction between release managers on, you know, on every release Um sort of semi-automated interaction where everyone gets an announcement email and and we make ourselves available for anyone who's got questions or that but i mean the case is uh, uh, the fact is i can't really answer i can't imagine sarah's got any questions that i know the answer to and she doesn't and remy the same i mean he's really good with all this kind of stuff he does he does um the same kind of work for uh, lots of projects open source projects so they haven't really needed any help beyond the initial setup and stuff so far. But um, uh, yeah, we all make ourselves available because anything can happen and uh, there's only a limited number of us. There's kind of an ongoing joke that um, the only way to be sure that someone will leave the PHP project is to make them a release manager <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it is so thankless and it takes up so much of your time that a lot of people do tend to sort of fall away from the project after they do that. But I can't imagine that's going to happen with any of the current release managers because they're all such veterans of the project that um, nothing could really scare them away. If anything, we're going to feel more invested. But in the past, people have tended to go away. So that's a shame. But yeah, um, we're, we're all kind of 
we're kind of all a team and, and obviously on, on the occasional difficult bug there will be like direct interaction and the odd pull request will defer to each other decisions and things. But it's mostly it's mostly autonomous. You do it yourself, and it's just um, you make your own you make your own decisions. Unless someone else asks you to make one, you just get on with it, really. And and actually, then so talking about some like RFCs and stuff, and I did bring up before, you know, maybe we could talk about some things and do some kind of. I think some of them you I don't think you've seen before, or maybe you have seen, or you haven't really like kind of commented on. I've seen them, but since it was before yesterday, I don't remember the details. <laughs> So which ones do you want to look at? So, yeah, so I thought it'd be quite cool to go and like kind of, the, so initially the, the under discussion ones, uh, there's a couple that are under discussion, which would be quite interesting you know, to get your opinion on. Um, the first one is the concept of retry. Uh, so the idea is that it will make it easier to re-execute code blocks that have failed due to recoverable error, errors by jumping to the top of a try block. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, kind of what's your opinion on this? Okay, well, what it is, is actually like a fancy go-to. Now, if I wrote the code in the example with a go-to, I don't really see that there's a remarkable difference between the two things. I mean, this uses a different word and um, a number, but it's in in essence a go-to, and it's jumping around, and it's like a flow control that doesn't really fit. However, can't see that it's particularly harmful. I mean, if I saw some code that had go-to in it, I would just read the code, and it wouldn't really bother me that much. Um, on some level, all of this stuff, if else, it's all the same on the on the lowest levels. That it's all the same. So I, I don't really think go to as harmful as people make out. But in the minds of everyone, it is harmful. So it's like, well, it doesn't really add that much value because you can do it already. But if you do it already, everyone's going to say you're, you're bad and you should feel bad. Hmm. So um, I don't know. I'm like, well, it kind of might make that kind of flow easier, but it's it's a kind of questionable thing to do. It's kind of a questionable flow to have. Uh, but I don't know. I can't really I can't really say that I'm either in favour of it or against it. I'm kind of I'm on the fence. Dude. Yeah, because it it, fit, it fits like a pragmatic way of doing things. And like when I first saw it, I thought, you know, it's it is very much like syntactic sugar around making a, a common problem or a problem that you do see come up you know where it's this concept of a retriable event you know something like say and you know an external remote call or something and instead of having the code the boilerplate code around that with retry attempts and all this kind of gubbins you know to actually have that in the language um and i suppose that is like the pragmatic way like it is something that you see so you put it in the language because it's a pragmatic thing to do so it's there for for a long things but i would also agree with you like you know like you can do this already and it is just a fancy go-to the really good use case that was discussed was, um, you know, an HTTP client or TCP client of some kind that times out and you've got to keep trying. Or This is all very good. and It's a good use case. But doesn't the functionality belong in the client, not in the la- – I don't know if it really belongs in the language. If it's such a strong use case and that it's hard to s- sort of find another one or another one that's so different, maybe it would be better if you wanted that as functionality of your client to make that functionality client rather than – to make it functional of the language in order to use it in just your client and a very, very similar code. Yeah, because I mean, the thing about like exceptional circumstances are is that they're kind of unrecoverable states or they're states that can be recovered from. It may be dependent on the code. And like essentially, this is kind of saying that this with a retry, you are saying then, OK, this is a recoverable event, essentially you know that's that is code, like it, it's within the language as opposed to within the actual domain of the problem. 
Well, it's true, but your 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 pure self is saying, well, an event is unrecoverable, and then your logical pragmatic self is saying, oh, but what about in the case where it is recoverable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's either one or the other for the language, though. Um, you can be you can be you can have that duality in your code or your your applications and choose one choose one way in one component and another way in another component but you can't have that in the language because it just i mean we can't have uh, i just don't think we can we can go down that route we've either got to say that an exception is unrecoverable and in so doing be able to take advantage of things that you are not thinking about like um how to shut down the engine as fast as possible how to clear op cache or populate op cache as fast as possible and the things that matter for php if we have to do both, then we have to make all kinds of complex decisions and trade-offs that are not really worth it. If it's just the case that um, what we can rely on today is changed by this one insignificant language feature, then it's not worth it's not worth changing the, how the engine works for the sake of that. If it means that some assumptions we make now have got to be changed, do you know what I mean? It's not it's not as simple as oh, is this good for the actual syntax of the language and making people understand uh, uh, understand it and how how to use it easier or whatever is actually about well what does it mean for the internals of the language and what is it what uh what are we not going to be able to assume that we can assume now and this falls into that category i mean we do we do make assumptions about exceptions and finally blocks and catch blocks and if we've got this new introduction then i don't know how that's going to work out i mean it's not discussed in the but but it wouldn't be because I mean only a few people are aware of these things. So I don't know when it comes down to it. When I see actually the implementation and what it means, and um, then then I'll decide if it's good or not. But if it's um if it's got things that change, then then it's not worth it just for this one thing that you can do already without changing um, anything else. Absolutely. And I think that's it. You know, if it's syntactic sugar that doesn't affect a lot, then, you know, it's very much kind of got it, it doesn't have to affect too many things. But, you know, you are right in thinking that this can be abstracted out and codified in the domain itself. It doesn't have to be a language feature like it can be abstracted out into a simple retry concept with exceptions even or it could be very much sent, you know, like they were mentioning the API that they were using AWS. Well, couldn't it be a responsibility of that to pass? OK, I want to be able to retry this three times. Like, isn't it, that's the problem with, you know, it's the client that you're using has the ability to do yeah. retry attempts. And does it have to be the language? Like the language seems like quite a, a high level or not even high level, sorry, quite a low level place to really put this kind of very specific thing. Yeah, because it's such a narrow domain. If it, if it, if it, if it would, if it was to have generally applicable, I mean, it's they, the examples in, in there are obviously just, they're not, they're not real code. I mean, the kind of things you would use it for are going to be the same sort of things and the domain so narrow i think probably it doesn't belong in the language but i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't vote against it i feel i don't unless the patches when it's finished is is um got something deeply wrong with it then i wouldn't actually vote against it because uh, it's not it's not going to do any harm to the things i care about really but um at the same time i i i, I can't really justify its inclusion so i wouldn't vote i, I wouldn't vote yes for it um, and, and then following on from that then, so another one that's under discussion is the concept of namespaces in the core and the idea of like standardizing the namespace structure. What's your opinion on that? Um, there's been a few of these discussions lately. First of all, I think it's strange. These RFCs, there's this one and there's another one about some internals decision. And they're going forward with, they say they only need a 50% majority, but they've read, they've read the documents wrong that set out how, what kind of majority you need. 
And I don't see that they do only need a slim majority because, I mean, it affects everyone, doesn't it? Everyone adding code or documenting code or whatever. It's not fair to just go, go ahead with a slim majority. As we found out, these are the things that make life politically unpleasant for everyone. Just look around the world. But anyway, about the actual the namespaces in court, it's about how they're going to be written, what kind of case characters they're going to use and what kind of form they should take. Question of case, I mean, that's not an important question. It could be argued about forever. And there are different. It's not important enough to like need us to all sit down and say, "Oh, how are we going to handle the case of these words?" It's not. It's not important. And and it's going to change. You know, um, some things like to have mixed case, and that's like their, uh, you know, their brand. We're going to change the name of some software that we've included in PHP because we we decided we should before we heard of it. No, it's weird. There are cases in PHP where it is stupid, like HTML entities and HTML entity decode are totally different. But um, is it important, though? I mean, are we going to sit around and think about it or are we going to not care? Let's not make the same mistake again. Let's care. Let's not make the same mistake again. But do we need to actually decide how the characters appear in a language that is ignorant of the appearance of characters? And do we need to put restrictions on if someone writes a quite a complicated extension and they don't bother putting it in a namespace, are we going to say, and, and then and then we decide, or maybe we like that, are we going to say it's in the wrong namespace, you've got to change all of that, which means you've got to go back and rewrite or, or write up any documentation that you've written before, all of your readme and your GitHub and your personal um, uh, GitHub repositories has got to be changed. I mean, are we going to do that? Or are we going to say, yeah, let's have that? It seems simple just to say, yeah, let's have that. The standard that there should be, that we should use namespaces and that we, they should be meaningful, that's a good standard to have. But it's a good standard for the community to have and the community to use. But it doesn't really make sense internally. We need to be flexible enough to just say that we're going to include some code because it's useful for everyone without making demands of the people that wrote the code. So I just, I, I think it's not really important. And when it comes down to it, it's actually, it's, it's going to mean some pretty stupid stuff like asking people to change their personal repositories if we want to include their code. I mean, it's fine to say, can you adjust a license or can you include a license or something like that? But can you actually change the symbols? That's not really reasonable. If they've got a user base, it means breaking or adding some kind of awkward compatibility that means a headache in the future and, you can't ask people to do that. It's not reasonable. And hopefully, whoever this person is has already written their code in a decent namespace, and it was already meaningful. And then they don't need—they don't really need to prefix it with PHP or whatever, which is the kind of attitude we've got today. That the prefix PHP wouldn't really mean anything. That—that's why we don't use it. That's why we don't have PHP um, backslash strlm because it, it wouldn't mean anything. Um, and and you'd still have to have um, fallback behavior. So we can't take advantage of any optimization. It's, it's just a bit pointless for us to use namespaces internally. But this has come about because um, another RFC was going to be merged in a namespace and someone pointed out that it's kind of a backdoor decision to suddenly decide we're going to use namespaces and this is how we're going to use them without actually having an RFC about. But I don't think it's actually important enough to have an RFC for, but it's probably another one of them ones that I won't I won't really vote on it unless it's unless it's going to do something harmful or stupid. And it's probably not it's probably not going to pass, to be honest, because people aren't that bothered about it. People in the community bit, bitch about the inconsistencies and that. But those of us that have been using it for a long time have just remembered that it's inconsistent and that you've got to 
mix things up in your head and it's not that difficult to remember so it's not really like a huge it's not a huge deal for internals i mean we we don't make an effort to make the same mistakes and we we make an effort to avoid them but are we going to go and try and rewrite history and try and introduce new namespaces to try and as a kind of way of introducing a possibility of solving the problem by introducing a different interface in one namespace to the other and keeping the backwards compatibility and i just don't really want to go down that road especially by the back door and i I just don't think it's um, useful no, that, that that makes sense. And and then following on from that as well then, so another the last one under discussion is the UUID implementation and adding it as part of the PHP standard module. Oh, I think this is a no-brainer. Um, I think we want that, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obviously going to be done. Now, I don't know about the... Um, we've got people around that are extremely clued up about security and cryptographic things. So they're probably the people that will actually decide how it will actually work. But, I mean, having a built-in one is a no-brainer. It seems a bit late. So, yeah, I hope that one moves quickly um, and gets the right people involved. I'm sure it will. Or I hope we just use something that's... I haven't actually read the details of this at all. I, I saw the announcement email and thought, yeah, it's a no-brainer. But the people that are going to be involved are like not involved yet, I don't think. It looks good to me. What, what do you think? I completely concur, man. I mean, the amount of times... It's interesting because I think it's Ben Ramsey's package on packages that gets included like a bajillion times. And I think they mentioned it in the RSC. You know, like when you ever want to use your UIDs. Yeah, that's that's what that's supposing. But I suppose it will be be reviewed by people. I mean, I don't know. Any, I don't know anything about the details. But I've you. But yeah, it looks like a pretty solid proposal. So. Yeah, and it just it feel, it feels this is what this type of thing that PHP. I mean, it, it, there's so many things in PHP where it's just like this is just a common case now, and it just feels like something right, and we need to have it right done once right with the security in mind and everything that people aren't reinventing the wheel all the time. I mean, they're obviously they're not reinventing the wheel because they'd be probably using importing the Ben Ramsey's package this one, but you know, there's this idea that people could exactly. just be there's actually a patch. Oh, awesome. already? Yeah, they've already decided how it's going to work. Oh, oh, it's it's just uh, oh no, it's not quite. Ben Ramsey's one, it's some, something close. Probably following a similar, I mean, the, the idea of having it as a class and everything makes complete sense because you, you can't really differentiate a UUID from just a string. It's a great idea, but it is just making sure that it is secure, it is safe. Yeah, I'm afraid that's beyond me. Oh, well, um, making it somewhat safe is not beyond me, but making it, you know, the, the, the best it could be is beyond me. But I believe, yes, I believe he's pretty clued up. But there's a couple of other people I'd like to see, like, commenting and things. But um, it looks pretty lively as well. I'm glad we found one I actually like. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're going down the list now. I mean, these are some of the... Now we're going into the ones that have been approved for 7.2. So, and I've noticed some of them you haven't actually commented on or, like, approved, like, kind of yourself. But it'd be interesting to see you get your opinion on them. But carrying on with, like, the security security kind of in mind, the addition of Libsodium. And, and I would love to kind of, you know, first maybe explore what actually then is Libsodium and, and, and what does this do? Oh, well, it's a cryptographic library and it's like a toolbox for it's got like everything in it. Um, but it's written by one guy and it's like all the same good quality review. I believe it's been cryptographically reviewed, but I, I know it's been like peer reviewed um, code. It's um, kind of a, the, the security library that should have always been. It's like lib security, but it didn't for some reason. It was like split out into millions of different um, libraries and actually your own implementations of things and stuff like that. So it's a brilliant addition to PHP and, and for people that deal with very security sensitive applications. It's a no it's really a no brainer. And the idea then is that you'd use this over any of the other ones that are available in PHP or extensions that are available. This is the go to de facto cryptographic library. 
Yeah, I mean, not quite because it's got a third party dependency. But I mean, so is Curl, and Curl is your go-to HTTP client. So in the same kind of way, but in some cases, obviously, you wouldn't have it, and like you'd have to use file get contents. You might have to use some other ancient appy. But for the majority of people, it it will become. Because for the majority of people, it doesn't really matter what we include in PHP. What matters is what package maintainers make available easily to install. It will, for most people, become de facto their security library. And will anything of the internals in PHP actually use this, start using this uh, as a replacement for maybe stuff that's already in there? That's complicated because of the um, fact that it's got a dependency and we try not to add dependencies to like the core. So that's a question that probably can't be answered until we, we answer the question of dependencies and we, ha- we haven't. I mean, some we bundle and some we, we pull in from the system. and So we, we don't really have a good answer to that. The other one actually then on the security side, which has been merged, is the Argon 2 password hash edition. And it's just like showing, highlighting how good, you know, the idea of like the password hash API was that you can just add in another password hashing very easily, very trivially, and it kind of expands over time. Yeah, it's it's great addition and, and, a, and a great update for that. Um, yeah, it does just, just show what uh, that's one of the good decisions we, we made in recent times. Yeah, so both of those are now in 7.2 and then a couple of other ones are like there's some type stuff. So there's a very simple one, which is the object type hint. So, you know, the ability to add in, like we've got the Scala type hints, we've got the ability to have abstract data type, you know, like class type hints. Uh, and then now there's, you know, the object, just having an object, similar to how you have an array. You know, I, I know you voted on this. You said, yay. You know, it seems like quite a no brainer as well, really. Uh, yes, it was. It's got a, uh, it's got like a bit sneaky thing you might not think of straight away, which is variance. But I mean, on the face of it, it's a no, it's a no-brainer and quite simple. So I think that got quite a good, good vote in favour of it. There's just the question of covariance and contravariance. Uh, that was something I was going to bring up. Those two topics. Would it be okay if you know maybe you could give like a bit of an insight into both of them and kind of the problem that they solve or that they are you know describing? So. Um, Covariance allows you to say we've got um, an interface, which is animal, and then we've got some concrete implementations, which is, say, a cat and a dog. Now, in covariance means in the interface, you can specify that a function returns an animal. And in the implementation, it means you can specify that it turn, returns um, a specific animal, the cat or the dog. Contravariance is the other way around, where in the interface, you can specify that you return a dog, you, you return a dog or a cat. And in the implementation of the interface, you can specify that you return an animal. Now, because of the reason that you, you can only parameters can go one way and the return can go the other is because of Liskov substitution, which I think we've which I think we've discussed before. It may seem useful to be able to go in both directions. Intuitively it seems like, well, why can't you just do whatever you like? But it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It becomes very complicated when you've got inheritance and that's that's the way that covariance and contravariance interacts with the object typing uh, and and in general um, the the language. It is interesting because, it, it, you know, I've seen that pattern before, you know, the, the concept of the parameter types are contravariant. So, you know, that they can have, you know, more generic types, less derived types. And then the other way around where it's actually a return type, it's covariance because you can get more specific. And, and when you, you kind of listen to it, you kind of listen to that definition, you're like, OK, but it's when you put real examples, like you say, with the animal and the dog and things like that, that's where it starts to play out. And then you start to see yeah. the problems that, you know, with inheritance and stuff, that's why you have to do it that way. And that's why LSP makes you do it that way. Yeah, I mean, you've got to follow a set of rules so that you can 
model this stuff in your head without it being like an Alice in Wonderland kind of model. That's it. And also, yeah, that computer can understand and, and statically kind of work out. I mean, another one actually that's very interesting is the parameter type widening. The idea that you can have a specific type and then you extend it and then it will actually loosen that type because that's very much and it can have anything. And that, that seems to be an actually um, added Oh, it's not exact. Well, it's a kind of variance, but it's the only kind of variance we can do. Where what it proposes is that we just allow dropping the type in the subclass or implementation in our interface and implementation example. It, it's a kind. It's a kind of variance, kind of contravariance, but it's um, not as you would like it. <laughs> type widening to the size of anything yeah (laughs) it's kind of because i mean that's the thing like it does mention in the rsc you know that it's not ideal contravariance but it is the best we can do and at least then that way you've got that ability yeah i remember this one as well i remember discussing the patch it is the only kind we can do until we introduce kind of strange rules about um load order and how auto loaders have got to be invoked and what order they um that kind of thing And, and that seems like a strange kind of strange kind of restrictions so yeah it is the best we can do it's, 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 it is useful though absolutely and actually another one then so following on from that is and you actually declined this you actually said no to this one it's the null coalesce equal operator so expanding on the concept it's a bit of syntactic sugar around the null coalesce uh, that was added in seven i said no because the patch was extremely bad and actually there is still no patch for that because it's not that simple in these kinds of operators where um, the left hand side or right hand side may have the same code you have to ensure that it's only evaluated one time and it's got to be evaluated at the right time so it isn't as simple as it first seems and that is the reason that there is no patch for that yet and that is after sarah has attempted write it so it's not going to come that easily Ah, so do you, do you think that could bottleneck seven two then, like, or it will just be pushed off to the next release or whatever until it's done? We're literally we're, we're literally waiting for someone to magically tell us how to write it, and we've tried. I mean, me and Nikita and my Dory, the person who proposed it, and Sarah, we've all been in the same chat room together discussing how it's going to work, and we don't have the answers. So uh, that's how that is at the moment. So the idea is accepted. It unfortunately is just the how you're going to do it is the the bit that's the bottleneck. Other people are happy to say, yeah, let's do that. But I'm actually, it depends on if we can actually implement it. (laughs) If we can't implement it, then there's not really much point in taking up everyone's time in the vote or discussion with that. But but she thought she had an implementation and none of us checked it that thoroughly until it actually came time to vote. And then we checked it thoroughly and realised it was bad. And then we had to go at it ourselves. And like I said, we got together and tried to do it. It's difficult. So... I don't think that one's actually going to really be on on the cards in the next release in seven point two. Not really. Um, I, I'm just wondering, kind of like, is there are there any other RSCs you're interested in or you're currently working on, or is it been really all hands on deck with release management stuff? Uh, yeah, I haven't really been working on anything. There, there is a couple floating about something to do with OpenSSL. I, 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 what it is escaped me, but it's something to do with OpenSSL and fixing some long outstanding thing. People tend to, some people just put up an RSC and start the discussion the next day, but some people tend to plan it in a small group and put it up on gist and sort of work on it among themselves and then go to internals when it's sort of had at least some review. And I think everything I've been discussing with friends is in that stage at the moment, so not available for the public. I think that works better, though, because in a small group of friends, you can all be honest with each other and you don't have to 
pull any punches and it's a more productive there's no grudges and there's no politics basically you can just talk about the idea and then the implementation and i think that's that's better than going to internals where there is some politics i mean it's not always obvious but i mean there must be there's a lot of noise a lot of people that make noise that don't even actually um have the ability to vote i don't know that sounds harsh but i mean we, we do listen to everyone but i mean in some conversations it's like the majority of the noise and it is noise is being generated by people that actually can't actually affect any change it's best to avoid that and go with like a formed idea and also an implementation so yeah that's basically the stage that they're in at the moment i wish i could tell you what they were but i can only remember what something about open ssl but yeah they'll probably be be uh, public next time we talk the last thing actually i'd love to talk about is uh is github project that you actually posted and you've been doing some work on and it's kind of like you types or user defined types i'm just wondering kind of like you know what, what's the kind of impetus behind that and what was the reasoning for for such a an extension uh i believe someone just said hey joe can you do this and i just <laughs> said so what it allows is for the user installs a handler that is invoked when the virtual machine enters a function so at the point of execution it's invoked when the parameters are verified the types of parameters are verified okay and so the handler receives the type that was declared and a value and the handler can decide whether the value should pass the verification or not so that you can do um sudo types the recent um is it iterable that was added which is just like a fake union of things that are roughly iterable you could have implemented that kind of type with this so that's the idea of it basically to implement like sudo kind of unions and i can't i I don't i don't know the 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 word for um sort of pseudo types but um you can actually verify the type in in the handler but it's just with a less rigid definition than that which the virtual machine would use so it's able it's able to like kind of programmatically kind of decide what in your within your domain what the type really means verifying wise and stuff for that function yeah without it actually having to be an actual type so yeah um it's quite cool yeah Uh, someone just came up with the idea and it was quite easy so yeah i just put it on github did they show off any kind of like use cases of it like kind of playing around with it i did actually ask that before i did it they did have one it was really well it was semi-convincing for like a sunday afternoon or whatever it was (laughs) but i was convinced enough that yeah that's quite a cool idea and sort of pinned on the idea of being able to verify interfaces and so that like you could consider a, a callable as to implement an interface in in your handler um, function. I, I'd ra- I, I kind of rather that the language done it, but I mean it's such a it's five minutes to do in code, but discussion and work getting it in through internals, it's like months and maybe years of work. So that'll do. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? You start off with an extension and then you can move it up. Yeah, if... Well, you've got to pick your battles and I, I chose to chicken out of that one and just do it as an extension. But we were talking about it as like a thing, as like a new way of typing and then I just said, well, it, it can be done. And someone said, could you do it as an extension as like a proof of concept? And I said, yeah, but doing it, other, doing it otherwise is just too much too much work. So I'll do it and then if you want to, you can pick out you can pick the code apart and it was a guy named Chris and he said he, he, he might do, but I doubt if he will because it exists now and there's like not much point. Yeah, it's a cool little toy. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I say thank you so much, Joe. It always, it, as I say, it's always fun talking to you and um, I'm sorry about the, the delay in kind of getting all this stuff set up today, but it's been a really great chat. Yeah, I'm sorry we're so very poor at using um, <laughs> computers. Yeah, we, we, uh, should, we should have our computer licenses banned, shouldn't we? Stripped from us. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking of like going to like evening classes, like how to use like Excel and stuff. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, on that note, audience, it's been another great episode. And uh, yeah, Joe, we'll speak to you sooner than a couple of months. Hopefully try and get this a bit more regular again. All right then, dude. Well, it's been another great episode. We'll speak to you again next week. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.